It's good to be in the house of the Lord, is it not? Amen. We can turn in our Bibles to Ephesians. Really enjoyed studying through it this time. Uh, and y'all came back, you know, after last week. This is dealing with the marriages and all that. I know that's not... We are actually missing several, so it's okay. You know, sometimes it takes two or three weeks and the anger subsides. So. Uh, if that didn't hack everybody off today, Will, uh, we're going to move on to, to children and parents. And, uh, and then we'll talk about jobs while we're at it to kind of send y'all into the week. Um, we're only going to look at, at verses of 1 through 9 of chapter 6. I'm going to split this uh, chapter in two as well. The last half of this is, is absolutely gold. So come back next week because next week is all positive. Um, it's all positive. It's the weapons spiritually that we take and we put in our lives to go and march through life. And so we'll have, a, I think, a fun but a good look at that next time. Uh, but today, we got, we got to get through this first. Now, to start off, you know, it's, it's interesting because we, we look at a lot of the Bible and we say, you know, this is important or that's important. Uh, weapons of spiritual warfare, you know, and um, salvation, let's really study that. And let's study, you know, eschatology, the end times. Let's study that. Let's, let's really know. And here's the thing, if you look at it logically, okay, Hebrews chapter 6 alludes to this. You get saved, it's a point in time, right? So some churches, they harp on salvation, salvation, salvation. And you're like, I'm saved already. You know, once you're saved, you're saved. So Paul alludes to that in chapter 6 of Hebrews. Like we've already talked about salvation, baptism. Some churches, they go on and on, some people groups baptism forever and a day but it should be kind of one point in time so out of your whole life there's one moment we hope it's not too long because when you go under you know you want to come back up and and it's done so baptism it's it's over and done with uh, some people get baptized two or three times whatever your thing is but still out of your whole life it doesn't take up that much time but the church harps on it forever and so on and so forth the end times Here's the thing. I don't care what you think about it. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Whether I agree with you and you with me or not, it's going to happen as the Lord wants it to happen. Studying it into uh, boredom isn't really going to change the facts. The creation, the beginning, another great topic. However, what you believe about it or what I believe about it doesn't change what happened. But today's topic, I say all that to say, because if you if you get these verses, we're going to live here the rest of your life. Every day, you're a child. Every day, you're a parent. At least you're a child. I mean, everybody here has parents, right? So this relationship is one that we're all going to have to deal with. For better or for worse, we're all going to live with our families. Um, or you're going to make a choice to live apart from them. That's, that's, and that's true. And I know that even in a small group like this, that we have people that have amazing families, amazing parents and grandparents and all that. And, uh, and then we've also got people represented here that have terrible family situations. All of that is normal. That's, that's part of the world. But what you do now is you come and say, well, I believe in Jesus. I want to live my life as a Christian. So now what? 
Well, here's the main overriding principle of Ephesians that Paul's saying. Your life should no longer look like it did before you were saved. So even your families, they're not going to look like they did in those relationships like they did before you were saved. And it's not that your family members, if you're in a bad family, that they deserve forgiveness. You didn't either, but Jesus forgave you. So we forgive those around, not because they deserve it, but because the Bible says it's really, really good for you. So when you leave here today, I hope that you can leave and have a new biblical view, uh, a starting view. I'll put it that way, because it's a big topic on how we deal with children, how we deal with parents and all of those things and, and start formulating and, and, and the prayer really should be for us all. Lord, what would you have me to be in the in the family that you placed me? Because here's the thing, you know, others couldn't handle the situation that you may be in today. You're put there specifically with your parents or with your kids. And uh, on either end, they can be a tragedy for you. I know. Um, but uh, we, we, we deal with that. And I think you were sp probably specifically designed and given the tools to handle the situation that you're placed in and to even shine in it and be a witness for Christ there. And so some of us, you know, you look at somebody across the way and you go, man, look at the trial that dude's going through. Look at the life that he was given. I could never do that. Probably not because you're not them. Um, they were given that load and they're probably looking at you going, I couldn't handle where you are. Um, because of the, the thing that you're going through. We're all designed. God knows what you need. And, and he puts you there to strengthen you because the, the challenges in life, in our families and everywhere else in life, they do something to us. They, they cause us to become the people that God wants us to be. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's like you can take uh, uh, wax, and I would say don't put it in the oven. It's not going to help anything. <laughs> it's just going to melt it. In fact, let's put it in the freezer if you're, we're worried about something built out of wax. Um, but if I build something out of clay, I'm going to say it needs to go in the oven. That will harden it and make it to be something that's useful. And so as the designer and the maker, that's what I would do with those objects. And God's doing that with you. He's, he's putting you in fire or in a cold place because of how you're made and what you are going, I'm going to form you to be what I want you to be. And that's from Jeremiah, you know, where he says, who are we to talk to the potter and say, I don't like how you made me. I don't like where you place me. And the whole premise in Jeremiah is we shouldn't say that to God. So we're all where we're supposed to be. So now we look at the scripture and we go, we got to read this and apply it to our lives. So it says children. So we start with them. That's all of us really. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Um, it says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you uh, and you may live long on the earth. So the, uh, the thing you've got to realize is this is written without the chapter breaks. So it's tied to the last chapter, tied to the last one. So the idea of all of this, last week marriages, it was how do we do this as spirit-filled Christians? So a spirit-filled Christian, this is what we do. We obey our parents in the Lord. Now, qualifying statement there. I underlined it in my Bible. In the Lord. Okay. So you say, well, pastor, that's great, but obeying your parents and all uh, for this is right. Um, what about if they're telling you to go rob the bank? 
What if they're telling you to do something that is against the Bible? Well, it's not what it's saying. It says, obey your parents in the Lord. So when your parents are following the Lord, then you are to follow your parents um, in the Lord. In, in, in other words, things spiritually where they say, hey, this is right and that is wrong. And they're teaching you from the word. Well, then follow those things. And it's a good idea for us. Uh, it doesn't mean to follow them to the next, you know, bank heist. So, you know, there there's qualifiers here. This isn't a blanket statement, in other words. Um, but part of this obeying is uh, for small children. I think there's a time because, you know, last week we read the scripture where when you're married, it says, leave father and mother and cleave to your wife. Well, that means that there's the allegiances are changing. And, uh, you know, now we're cleaving to each other. We're adults. So you, you're no longer obeying daily things that your parents are putting forward for you. But when you're honoring them, well, that's still there. And I do believe the Bible over and over again says, honor your father and mother. And um, honoring them is very different. You can have terrible parents that you still honor. To dishonor your parents uh, would mean that you you basically dump them. So say you have bad parents. How, how do you do this? Well, to honor your parents means that you, you continually be the example for Jesus Christ in their lives and in front of them. Don't, don't dump and leave. Always be available. I'm not saying stay in a toxic situation, but you be the light on the hill. Okay, Abraham was in the world, but not of the world. And he was real quick to move up on top of the mountain when his uh, nephew Lot got in trouble, if you remember the story, got uh, kidnapped and he was uh, King uh, uh, Chedlamar. He was uh, taking him and heading north. And uh, Abraham said, I'm going to intervene. So he took a bunch of his men. He went down had a little battle and uh, overtook him, brought him back to, uh, to Sodom. That's where he was living. So you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? And he brought him back there and uh, he said, okay, back to the hill I go. And he went back up on top of the mountain. So I, I thought that was an interesting story because when it comes to family relations, how are we supposed to honor and stay involved? Well, sometimes it's good to go stay on top of the mountain. In other words, remove yourself from a bunch of knotheads. Um, but then when you see that they're in trouble and the Lord lays it on your heart to go get in there and intervene, then go be that light for a moment and do what's right and then go back up on top of your mountain. And so, you know, what do I do with, with family that, that I disagree with religiously, disagree with uh, how they are, are living their lives and things like that? Well, they know who I am. They, they know what I stand for. I'm very public, obviously. You know, I'm a pastor. Uh, they know what my, my personal close family uh, is, and that's good enough. And, you know, if they ever need to hear, they know my phone number, they can call. I would get involved in their life if the Lord laid it on my heart. But I also know that some of them are, are toxic, and so I'm going to leave them on the shelf over there. And uh, if uh, God says get involved, I'll get involved. Otherwise, I'm going to pray for them and be an example over here because trust me, your family's watching. They know where you are this morning, even if they're at home, okay? So your family is watching you to see what you do, especially if you say, oh yeah, well, I'm different. I believe in Jesus. They're going to watch you even more. And uh, so sometimes you don't have to do a lot more. It says we do this that it may be well with you 
and that you may live long on the earth. And when you're young, I know that carries a lot of meaning, uh, you know, because they say, uh, uh, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. And so, you know, we, we obey and honor them so, so they don't take us out. But uh, uh, I think what he's saying here is there's a, there's a peace that comes into our life when our family relations are good. Here's the thing. If you have a broken family and you're a Christian, make sure that it's not broken on your part. As a Christian, we make sure that we're not the cause. It's them and we pray for them. We're the solution. If you want to be the problem in the family, I want to be the solution. And if that's the mindset that we carry forward, then you're all good. Whether they ever come around or not, you're good. And uh, some some of this stuff is tough. It's hard. And like I said, this isn't a once and you're done. It's a daily. We're going to be living with our family. I mean, unfortunately, when you know you're born into a family, you're there. You know, and I know when you're young, sometimes you pray for different family. But you're, you're stuck with them. We're all stuck with them, whether we like it or not. Um, then it says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, two ways to interpret this. One, a lot of dads can really <laughs> pick at their kids because we have a, a uh, you know, like for me, I, I grew up as a perfectionist. I, I was just, man, I wanted everything you know, I don't think, what is that What is that deal when you want everything lined up in a row? There's a, there you do, OCD. I'm not really OCD where I want everything like lined up in a row, but, but kind of, you know. And so I wouldn't label myself that way, but I'll, I kind of like things straight. Now, my socks are all folded nice and neat in the drawer, and that's how I like it, you know. And, uh, you know, I used to have two bins. I had one bin for my pencils and one for my pens because I don't, I mean, why mix them? That sort of thing, you know. But um, some of us are just that way, you know. The rest of y'all, I don't know how you live. But uh, no, really, um, you know, the thing is, is most of us as fathers, we've lived longer than the kids, right? So you, you, we figure we know more. And you just figure that they ought to do things how you did it. If you do it the way I do it, then you wouldn't mess up all the time. You know, I mean, that's that's sort of the mindset that we all have and if we're not careful, we don't allow our children to make their own mistakes. And it's really good. It's hard. I mean, parents that are in this room, you know what I'm talking about. It's really hard when you watch your kid walk up to a canyon and say, I think I can fly. And you go, no, you really can't, dude. And they go, I really think I can. And you go, okay, we'll try it. And it that's hard to do, you know, in life to say, okay, little birdie, you know, <laughs> Out the nest you go, and and you know that they're going to splat. You know that the course they're on, they're going to splat. And all you can do is just watch them splat, you know, and go, well, I'll scrape it up, you know, after you hit the bottom. That's about all we can do with this situation. And you scrape them up, you, you put them back together, and you do it, and then they do it again, you know. Um, it's tough, and so you eventually say, you know what, I'm stepping in. I know best, and I'm going to tell you about it. When you overtell and you don't let them learn, the little idiots never learn, okay? So you're just stuck in this, in this over-parenting mode forever. And then you're provoking them to wrath because what happens then is the kids, they go, oh, yeah? Well, I can do this on my own, and I'll show you. 
old man. And so then, then, then it provokes them to doing things even more crazy than what they would have normally done. And, and from afar, I can see families doing this. And I'm like, around and goes, you know, here we go, here we go. And the mom and dad, they love their kids. They, they're, they're, I think they call them helicopter moms and dads now. They're like hovering all day, you know, and they don't want to let them make a mistake. And they, the little kids never grow up. Well, what's happening, you've heard the term millennials, okay? What's happening in our culture is because we're moving away from biblical parenting is we're raising up generations of people who have no coping skills. So when life hits them, and life will hit them, it hits everybody. They go, oh, and they look for the nearest coffee shop to go and talk to somebody about all their problems. I need a macchiato to cope. You know, you're not getting anywhere this way. I mean, I'm just serious. I mean, I'm making fun of this, but this is this is happening out there, folks. We have generations of people who can't cope with life. And it all comes back down to the family unit. If the family's not functioning, your life won't function. So God says, let's go back to the family and make sure that we are parenting right. So children, it's actually a good idea to obey your parents because they've been here longer. They know more. You will learn from parents even if they're idiots because you can watch them and go, well, I don't do like that. Watch them. I mean, seriously. Kids, you know, they, they learn by example. And parents, you've, you've been given something that is, it, it really is pretty amazing. You know, you're, you're a, you know, I'm, I'm, I've talked about this before. We got married, you know, and uh, I was one and then I was two. And, uh, and then the two become three and four and five. And you're like, you know, hold up. Uh, but you have this, these, these new humans that are put in your family and it's like you don't even have to have a license or anything for these things i mean it's like you have to have a license to carry a gun but not to have a kid i mean it's really nuts you know they're more dangerous um but uh you know you've got these kids and you're supposed to do something with them and they don't leave you know they they stay and the next day they're there and and the panic hits eventually you know where you're like oh my goodness i was just a cowboy working on a ranch i really i had you know i I loved buying uh, custom handmade boots you know and new spurs and all this stuff out the window you know here come the kids you know i I had a brand new saddle and i love that saddle too it was a it was you know handmade it was it was a, a nice saddle um then Emma came along, you know, our, our second. So saddle, somebody else gets the nice saddle. Um, we have to pay for kids, you know, and you're just like, what's happening to me? You know, all my nice things are gone and they're replaced with these things and you've got to raise them. My viewpoints change through the years. But at first, you know, there's no training for being a parent. I mean, you've got to go, you've got to go, to, to school for eight years to work on an animal and nothing to be a parent. Nothing. Just like, what, what's happening? What? You're pregnant. Oh, and then here we go. And you're like, Lord, 
what, what happened? Like you got married, you know, you got kids, it's life. And it hits us between the eyes. And so then we start parenting and we make a lot of mistakes. That's the serious side. We make a lot of mistakes. And uh, so that's why we have a second child, right? I mean, you know, like, well, I'm going to do this one right. You know, we, th- we all think that. I mean, we're laughing, but we think this is the second one. We'll do better this time. We, we will do it differently because I made such mistakes the first time. And then by the third one, you're thinking like, yeah, I'm never going to get this. I, I just can't. I just don't get it. And we struggle, but part of the struggle causes us to look back to God and it causes us to pray a lot. Did me. I mean, I started praying like never before those early years. Like, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm trying really hard, but I don't know what I'm doing. You know, you you, you think wrongly that kids are going to bring your marriage together. No, they even cause more of a strain on your marriage in the early years. Because, well, what happens is you get married and you think this woman is going to have all her affection aimed at me. They're wrong. You know, what happens is they have a baby and they just say, get out of the way. I got a baby now. And so every day it's like, you know, the baby. Well, that's great. You know, (laughs) I'll just go work, you know, and pay for it all. And uh, you have the baby, you know, and 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 then, oh, now we've got two. Woo! boy life's going to even get better so there's that angle that you're working too and so you're even more on your knees going god this family stuff i get being saved thank goodness i'm saved you know thank goodness for death you know um but you go through that part of life and then you're like but this is daily ruth uh, graham billy graham's uh, wife was asked the question what's the hardest thing about marriage and she, they said that she thought about it, and she said, it's daily. <laughs> That's the hardest thing about marriage. It doesn't end. It's like every day we're dealing with these relationships. You would think, as much fun as I'm making of all this, you would think with that being our lives that we would pay more attention to how we do it. And yet as Christians, we fail to get some of these basic things down and say, I want to be a spirit son. I want to be a spirit-filled son. I want to be the best son that I can be. And yet I know even today that I lack greatly. But I want to be a spirit-filled son. I also want to be a spirit-filled dad. I want to be a dad that they look at and I example Christ the best that I can, even though knowing that I'm failing all along. Hopefully not as bad as I did in those early years, but still, I know that I'm failing. And I want to be a spirit-filled husband that, you know, in, in our marriage that Beth can look at and go, he ain't Jesus, but at least he's aimed the right way, and he's trying to be a spirit-filled dad and a father and a husband and a son. Those are my relationships, you know, that, that I'm looking at. And we all have these, and that's what this is saying. Try to do this spirit-filled instead of what the world would say that it should look like. Lay all those worldly arguments aside. Just lay them aside. Those aren't your arguments any longer. They're not mine. The The whole thing of, oh, well, well my dad or my mom or my kid, they were this or that. That's unforgivable. I can't forgive them. No. God never said that about you. Isn't it interesting that we have all this family stuff that all goes wrong down here? 
And yet God says, who, who, you know, God the Father sent his son to, to die for us. It's family, father and a son. And then Jesus says, and I call you no longer friends, but brothers. Uh, more family. Galatians, he says, you are now adopted sons and daughters into the family. More family relationship. God, I think, is trying to teach us something. So see, when we struggle with our families down here, this is something I really want you to get, as dads especially. When you mess it up, you're messing up a picture that God has put in this world of God the Father, and you're messing it up for your kids. You're messing it up big time. And they are going to have to work double hard now to get a good illustration of what a godly man looks like and what God the Father is trying to do in their lives. So it's really important that we get these relationships down and that we start doing things right because we don't want to mess it up for people around us. If you're a good brother or sister, when Jesus in the Bible says, I am like a brother to you, then that resonates. And we go, oh, yeah, a real brother that's got your back. Not a brother that stabs you in the back, but he's got your back, you see. Then I, then I realize, oh, that's a picture, a small picture of what Jesus is saying here. You know, if you have an adopted family and you're adopted in, that kind of resonates with you when he says in Galatians, and you're my adopted sons and daughters. You go, I know what that feels like. When somebody stepped up to the plate and said, I'm going to do things right. And I'm going to take something that was broken and I'm going to fix it because I'm spirit filled, because the Lord's in me. Let's be people that are fixing problems because there's plenty broken out there. You know, as a pastor, I'm probably a little more privy than some to all of the relationships and families around our entire area and that touch our lives all over that are full of pain and they're full of people that are broken. And we, the church, we need to be the fixers, the menders, those who mend, those who put back together what was broken in the name of the Lord and with his help. And so I think that's what this is getting at. So it hits me pretty hard, verse 4. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. That's one context. Don't do things that are constantly pushing them over the edge. But also, live your life in such a way that you're not provoking them to be angry, bitter children. You see. So not just being a goody-two-shoes and telling them what's right all the time, but also being such a horrible example that you, you cause them to turn their back on the Lord and they say, if this is what a father is like, I don't want anything to do with it. Don't, don't do that to our kids. And if you're in a family that's that way, you break the mold. You're spirit-filled. You, have the, you, have a, you, you are the person that changes your family tree, if that's what you come from. Now, he moves on. If that didn't get you this and well, the next uh, few verses here uh, are all about uh, work relationships. The other thing that you spend most of your life doing is around your people that you work with, right? Uh, you know, we, we think all this other stuff's important, but we spend most of our life trying to make money, trying to live, and trying to work for somebody or they work for you. So it says bond servants. That would be the employees. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, 
not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing the service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. You masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So again, the idea that I was saying about fathers a while ago, we have a heavenly father, so fathers represent that here, and, and you start seeing an idea. Same thing with a master. Um, the idea in the Bible is that God is our master, and we are his servants. Uh, it's another, another relationship idea with God. So when you're a boss and you mess that up, for those that work for you, you kind of mess up a picture. Uh, for those that are working for you, you mess up the picture for Christians looking at God in the right way. And uh, now, what is this saying and what's it not saying? Does it say, um, work for them no matter what and never quit? No, it doesn't say that. Um, we have to look at this in context. 2,000 years ago, slavery was an issue. Uh, I wouldn't say it was, it was even an issue. It was just the norm, okay? There was no issue with it back then. Um, over one-third of those living in the Roman Empire were slaves. It was not racially divided lines. Um, you could just, in other words, a lot of parents had kids and they sold them into slavery uh, and they wouldn't be, whatever, unslaved until they were uh, 30 years of age. At that time then, they they basically earned their freedom and that this was just the way they're, I'm not saying I like it, I wouldn't have liked that, but that's how their culture worked in Rome. So, Everybody that came to church, like a crowd like this, you would have roughly a third or maybe more of the people sitting there that were owned slaves. And then you'd have slave owners there. That's why in parts of the Bible it says, uh, in Christ, slave or free, that's Galatians again. Uh, in Christ, there isn't uh, uh, slave or free, but we're all one. And the idea was, don't come to church with those hierarchies of like, well, what are you? And like, well, I'm owned. Like, I'm a slave owner, you know? And so then they would, in some churches, put the slave owners in uh, uh, places of authority within the church and then put the slaves underneath. And they said, no, that's not right. We actually have uh, written documents coming out of the churches in Galatia, that area, where you had slaves that were in great places of authority within the church. So imagine how the work week went six days of the week i own you you know then you go to church and it's like what do you want me to do you know the slave is not telling you what to do because in christ all of that's topsy-turvy so weird kind of a weird uh, uh, uh culture that they had back then and the way it worked how do we apply this today is kind of the question uh well i would say that we do our work as unto the lord you know, this is another area where I was talking about those coping skills. Nobody's learning them today. And so when I was a kid, you know, I know, uh, well, I can talk about both of my granddads. You know, they were both, uh, you know, military guys, uh, served during World War II and all of that. And when they got home, one of them took a job at a ranch and he worked for that fellow for 35 years, ended up ranching then his own after that but my point is is he, he was career-minded he worked for one man all those years um then we had my other granddad he got home and he became a chemist and uh 
a paper mill, and he worked there uh, till he retired, 30-something years, I believe, and, uh, you know, got his pension right there from the paper mill. And that was a very common thing for that generation. They would get a job, and there was a loyalty where they would stick with those jobs forever and a day. Um, that's not how it is these days. The average time of hire now is four years and two months. And, uh, that's really not very good. I know in, you know, in my lifetime, trying to work on ranches used to, you would hire somebody to put out on a ranch somewhere to, to work. And 30 years later, you know, they retired cause they just couldn't even get on a horse anymore, but they stayed in that job forever. Now, you know, six months later, like the grass is greener across the hill and, uh, everybody's moving on. I'm not saying that there's times to quit and move on, but I'm saying as a, as a culture shift, we used to have a loyalty to our jobs. We would get a job. And, uh, a lot of kids, you know, they went to shop in high school, learn a trade there, and then they went and got the job and they were good. They were happy. Today we have this, uh, this jumping around thing. But what is it causing? It's, what's it from? Some of it is, yes, there's, there's worse employers out there than there used to be. They don't take care of people. So then that causes the employees to not want to stick. So it's kind of like a circle of trust. I don't know who broke it first, but I can tell you that our country right now is broken here. Our, our employees are doing the worst job they've ever done. The, the morale is on the floor. And y'all all know this. If you hire somebody to come to your house to do a job, how many times are you satisfied? You know, unfortunately, not very often anymore. They do a bad job. They don't clean up after themselves. Uh, and sometimes it's like, do you know what you're doing? I mean, <laughs> have you ever done this before? Um, you know, and, and we're running into more and more of that. There's no professionalism. Um, it's an issue. And it all stems from these ideas are dropping from our society. So you're saying, so what are you saying I'm supposed to do about it? You be the oddball, okay? You be that crazy one that when somebody calls you, you do a good job. You know, um, I know in my business what I have learned, uh, you know, because I, I, I'm one of those weird guys. I have to have like two or three little businesses in order to make it. But um, in in one little business I've got, we I sell uh, solar systems, and they uh, we sell these little systems, and I've done it for years. They pump water, you know, like out remote pumping deals. And you can buy these things online, okay? Kind of hurt your business a little bit. But here's the thing. Nobody will service them, and nobody knows a thing about them. So they still call me. They'll call and say, oh, we can't, pay. we don't want to pay you. We'll buy them over here. And then they try to get me to warranty them. I mean, it's crazy, the stuff I get into, um, you know, where it's bought online, and they want you to warranty it. Why? Well, because I actually know how to work on the things. I used to tear the pumps apart and rebuild them myself. Uh, you know, it's like you actually know what you're doing versus a moron who knows nothing but would just like to take the money. And and then they quit. They're, 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 these other companies, they come and go like uh, every few months, it seems like they're they're quitting. But that old mentality will still make a good living if you have it. Try a little customer service. Try a little warranty work. Try a little bit of, oh, it broke. Let me replace it for free and see what happens. Wow. 
Try a little, you know, if you're a handyman and you go and you hang a door and it falls off, try going and fixing it for free. It was on you. Quit trying to stick it to people. Quit trying to sue them. I mean, as as Christians, just say, how can I show the love of Christ here? And do that. If you're an employee, if you really want to shine, you want. let me tell you this, okay? From an employer standpoint, and I've talked to both sides on this deal, the employees stink so badly out there, you don't have to do much to shine, okay? And if you'll just show up, woohoo, you're hired, okay? Not really. But if you'll just show up, you're already ahead of a lot of people. And then if, you know, even if you don't really want to say it, I mean, I understand, but just say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, I'll get that. Wow. Not, yeah, whatever. Do I gotta? You know, that, you're like, it just, just try a little and you'll go far. Before long, it won't be, but a month or two, and they'll be like, oh, your promotion is up your way. You know, and like, what did I do? You're here. You're, you're smiling, you know, you combed your hair this morning. I mean, just do something to show you care, and you're above, you're above the pack. As Christians, you're also representing Jesus. Do your work not as unto that person, but as unto the Lord. And you know what I always tell people, say, well, what about when it's so bad and you're, you're leaving and quitting? Well, when you turn your two weeks in, here's one thing that I've noticed, and it really, really hacks me off. Uh, when somebody comes and they quit, and they say, I'll stick with you for the rest of this month to, to get this done. I've got to where I just say, you know what? Just leave now because you already left. And I don't want to deal with all of the uh, junk that you're going to leave undone while you're in a bad mood until you get gone. It shouldn't be that way. So here's my suggestion. If you're spirit filled, you do your work as under the Lord. And if you have to leave your last two weeks, do the best job that you've done. Make them actually miss you when you're gone. You know, there's two kind of people in the world. Uh, those who bring joy wherever they go and those who bring joy when they go. And you don't want to be the guy that they're like, phew, aren't you glad he quit? I had so many of those employees. You know, like I'd come in and best say, why are you so happy they quit? <sighs> I was so happy. You know, I don't have to work around said individual anymore. And uh, I was just counting the days off, you know. And uh, as Christians, that shouldn't be how it is. So if you're a boss, treat those people. If it's in your hand to do good, the Bible says, and you don't do it, it's actually a sin. Don't withhold pay. Don't uh, pay less than what everybody else is. Give those promotions. Treat your employees well. If you are an employee, do your job as unto the Lord and uh, not to men. Verse 7, it's, goodwill doing service as to the Lord. So when you're, when you're doing that job, you do it as if Jesus is your boss, not to men. And you know that whatever good anyone does, so if you're doing any of this good, he'll receive the same from the Lord. So even if your employer doesn't see it, God sees it. And you'll receive from him one day, whether you're a slave or free. In other words, whether you're working there under duress or not. Uh, you're, you, you, these things are going to matter. And again, your kids are watching you. Your wife's watching. Uh, the, the rest of the people in your life is watching. They're saying, how does a spirit-filled Christian handle this? Because there's going to be challenges. You, you want to see challenges in life, get a job. Okay, There will be new challenges come your way, 
and you'll have all these neat opportunities to represent Christ. And uh, I do like verse 9. I don't know how many you know business owners or bosses we have in here, but it's a pretty important verse. You masters, you do the same things then back to them, giving up threatening. In the Greek, that is a really interesting phrase because it is it it, it means to to threaten people with open threats that you can't follow through with. So that's like saying I'm going to break both your legs if you do that again. Are you really? Really? You know, out comes the hammer. I mean, are you? You know, you're not. So quit threatening people with stuff that you're not going to follow through with. You know, I would say this, even backing up to talking about raising kids, people a lot of times will ask me, what's the one thing you can do? And this is as a boss, this is as a parent, everything. When it comes to raising kids or having employees, say what you mean and mean what you say. What does that mean? It means that when you have that little kid and you go to a restaurant and they won't leave the silverware alone, but they keep clanging it on everything, do not say, if you do that one more time, I'm going to break all your fingers. Because really, have you ever seen that happen? Well, Junior, hand on the table. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's not going to happen, so don't threaten it. However, if you do threaten, whatever you threaten, make sure it's something you can follow through with. So if you say, if you do that one more time, no dessert for you. I mean, we've sat at restaurants, Beth and I, and watched this. It is hilarious. So they're like, you do that one more time, Junior, you're going to get it. They do it one more time. I said, one more time. I'm fixing to start counting. One, two, three, 19, 20. And I come on. I mean, I'm sitting there going, he's going to get it. He's going to get it. And they never get it. They never get it. Give it to them, Okay. If if you say no dessert, then I'm sorry, Junior. The ice cream's good over here. You ain't getting none. Why? Because I said, if you do it one more time, so now I'm following through. When God says that to us, when he says, and the wages of sin is death, he didn't go, oh, I was just joking. That, that was just me saying some stuff. All roads lead to heaven. Er, wrong. There's, trust me, the millennial crowd is going to get to heaven and go, I thought you were kidding. I mean, I, surely, but I mean, God's not going to do that. I wrote it. I said it. In fact, you didn't believe it. It's not my problem. I guarantee you that's going to be the answer. You see, we have to start taking God at his word so you be a person of your word. And with employees, be the same. When you say that doesn't cut it, then that doesn't cut it. And be a man of your word. And if you let it slide, then don't go talking to somebody else about how you let it slide and you didn't want to let it slide. Just don't let it slide. Same rules for everybody. Boy, that You want to talk about splitting up a family or a work crew, make different rules for different people. Like If he's late, the hammer comes down. But if he's late, it's fine. Kids, you know, it's like, I think that one's the favorite. Woo, right there, you've got such big problems. Don't do it. I mean, and biblically, this is true. Jacob and Esau, you ever heard the story? Remember? <laughs> uh, you ever show favoritism? I think that's what happens a lot of times. We have to watch it in the one-child families because they're the favorite, and they know it. You know. <laughs> anyway, we'll leave that one for another day. But you have to, y'all have actually a a hard thing because you're in, in those families. You're you're the one, and you are the favorite. You're like, oh, I'm the favorite. 
Good for you. I had a brother. You know, I didn't get that. And a little animosity coming out right at the end here. Hey, these are important things, and we have barely touched on working and doing our work as under the Lord and having families. But I think we can all agree as we leave here today that if we would put these things in play in our lives, that it would help. And the thing is, is that we want to be the light that shines. So as we end today, my encouragement to you is not to, you know, look at the hum and glum of your situation. My parents are this, my kids are prodigal, my grandparents are this, my wife or my husband is this, my boss, my my employees, you know, we've all got that. We should leave here today and say, how can I be the light that shines? where God has placed me a little brighter? And how can I start being a solution and a mender of fences and start reaching out with the love of Christ to those in my life in all those circumstances? Because that's what this is about, being a spirit-filled individual in a dark-filled world. Amen? Amen. So I hope you're not too mad at me. Um, I tried to stay away from a lot of things that I know can be divisive <laughs> and we we stick on the 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 minor divisive issues so uh why don't we go to the lord in prayer next week uh, as he ends this book it's it's a great uh ending i mean it's kind of like a movie it ends so well on how to be spirit filled and uh, so next time that i'm here with y'all we'll be looking at that let's go to the lord in prayer father we come before you and uh lord we just thank you so much for your word and just for Lord, having these words written for us that we could look at them and be reminded, Lord, some of us, Lord, we're doing, uh, we're doing great in these areas, great relationships all the way around in our families and our workplaces. Others of us, Lord, it's all a big mess. And so, Lord, I pray for those people that have messes in their lives. Lord, I pray that as they leave here today, those people, that, that they would feel the touch, Lord, from you your spirit in their lives, and just your encouragement, Lord, to be spirit-filled and to begin to be the light that shines into these dark areas and not part of the problem anymore. So, Lord, may we stop fighting. Uh, may we stop the strain and the struggles in our various relationships. And may we endeavor to be more like you and to be spirit-filled in these areas of our lives, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord. We ask that you would walk with us as we leave this place throughout this next week, wherever we may go, that we would be, Lord, a light in a dark world. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.